Hi, this is Laura. And this is Nikki with the Stardust Society, inspiring you to stop getting in your own way and start building an art biz and life that you love. We are artists who believe strongly in the power of community, accountability, following your intuition, taking small, actionable steps, and breaking down the barriers of fear and procrastination that keep you stuck. Follow along with us on our creative business journey as we encourage you on yours. Nikki, who are we talking to today? Laura, today we're talking to my friend, neighbor, and client, Kristen Williams of Ephemera Paducah. Kristen Williams has spent a lifetime playing with yarn, glitter, clay, rubber stamps, paper paints, and glue. Collage with ephemera and acrylic paints is Kristen's current fascination and the basis for her artwork. A Knoxville, Tennessee native, she moved to Paducah, Kentucky in 1996, where she fell in love and put down roots. Her business, Ephemera Paducah, is a culmination of years of dreaming about a creative venture and venue after spending decades in business consulting and economic development. Stocked with all the art supplies and chocolate you could ever want, her studio hosts workshops that attract instructors and students from all over the country. Kristen is here to tell us about her transition from business consulting to mixed media maven and how her business has changed in the last year. Kristen, thank you so much for being here today and talking to us. We're really excited to share your story with everybody. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here myself. I love talking about Ephemera Paducah and what we're doing here. Awesome. So let's start with some of your backstory. Um, Tell us a little bit about what Ephemera Paducah is and how you got to this place from the business life you started before. That is a long and winding tale, so I'll try to shorten that up just a little bit. But um, Ephemera Paducah was my fantasy when I was really stressed out at work. Okay. And my I was recruited to Paducah in 1996. I worked in the field of economic development, and I was recruited here to lead our local economic development efforts, which means calling on companies, creating an atmosphere that's business friendly and working with existing industries to create new jobs. And when I would get really stressed out at night, I would fall asleep and I would dream of a place like this that I could be in control of and not have a board of directors and not have to deal with mayors and not have to do all the stuff that I would (laughs) do in my daily life. (laughs) So being in economic development, the way one advances one's career is to move to a larger city, a larger metro area, Mm -hmm. take on a bigger budget. And I didn't want to do that. I had fallen in love. I had married. I fell in love with Paducah. Hi, John. And I, um, another dream I'd always had was consulting. So I ended up consulting for about 12 years. And I did, you all work for yourselves. You know how that is. Can you do this? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, of course I can. Right. So I worked with communities and <laughs> Then businesses. you quickly figure out how to do it. You quickly figure out how to do it or hire <laughs> somebody who can. Right, right. And um, I did a lot of meeting facilitation, uh, would write strategic plans for communities and did a lot of that kind of stuff, which was fun for a long, long time but it got kind of old. It got very lonely. Um, Mm -hmm. In that line of work, I would spend maybe 90, 95% of my time alone. The rest, you know, you meet with your clients, produce a product, come back. Right. And I was 48 ish 
and dreading, absolutely dreading turning 50. And mm-hmm. I was on the road a lot. So all these things converged. And I remember I was driving um, south of Nashville. I remember the exit. And I always kept a big pad of paper and a Sharpie in my car when I was driving. If I thought of something to lean over and make notes, so I didn't have uh-huh. to. And this was before we could talk into our phones. <laughs> and I, um, I was just really, I was feeling yuck and sad and depressed. And I still had this fantasy that if I was stressed out, I would still kind of dream about this place. And um, that's where Ephemera Paducah was hatched. And couple this with, I've always loved to make art. I've always been crafty. I've always had Mm -hmm. to do something, but I never would let myself do something if my work wasn't done. And since I was working for myself, I couldn't get done. It was never done. It isn't. About, I don't know, five years prior to this, I started taking vacation days to go to art retreats. Ah. And that's when the wheels really started churning. And I, John and I would go on car rides and I would just wear him out going, I think this could be a business thing. I think we could have, you know, people are coming here for the quilt show. And the first art retreat I went to uh, was in Oregon. And I mm-hmm. took, I was had like five or six classes day after day. I didn't know a soul. It was pretty clicky. I'm an extroverted introvert. You put me in a room full of people and I'm going to be hugging the wall, looking for the one person I can have an (laughs) in-depth conversation with. And also I came from that chamber of commerce background and I was, the lady asked me, you know, Oh, if you have any ideas for how we can make this better. So of course I sent her a Unabomber email. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you have different colored name tags for the new people? And why don't you have a happy hour where it's more comfortable and why don't you arrange a lunch so that we're not, you know, I just felt like the weird kid and, you know, fifth grade who had no one to sit with. Um, The art (laughs) instruction was fantastic, Yeah, but you're also dumped in the middle of a city and in the middle of the day, it's like, okay, you know, you have three hours of class instruction and just when you're getting in the zone, they'd go, okay, go find lunch. We'll see you in an hour and a half. Right. And And when you're alone, that's tough. And then you're alone. And then the stress of navigating a strange city and then to come back and get in the groove. And then so it was a mixed experience. I I started going with a friend after that. But those, you know, anyway, so mishmash together, background in economic development, chamber of commerce, grew up in a home where we entertained literally thousands of people a year. My dad was chancellor of the university. So we had lots of people around a mother who's a, who was a a very, you know, she went into that hospitality mode as part of her job being the chancellor's wife and being really dissatisfied with life and travel and needing something different. So I leaned over and I wrote, you've got to get excited about turning 50. So I tell people, this is my 50th birthday present to myself. And that's a really long intro for that. Sorry about that. That's okay. It's really interesting. Um, yeah, it is. <laughs> okay, so you had the idea, mm-hmm. and then so we know that you were thinking about it for quite a while. So, and the fiftieth birthday was the the jumping off point. But how did that transition happen? Um, immediately, I started business planning. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. So each time I switched careers that dramatically from chamber of commerce work to consulting, and then from consulting to ephemera paducah uh-huh. i went and talked to people who were already doing it and so mm, before smart. i was a consultant i interviewed i don't know t- i spent 
over the course of a year, probably, I interviewed 10 or 12 consultants who I admired. Smart. And just from basic things like, how do you build people? How do you keep track of your time? And um, there's one consultant in particular named Kate McEnroe, and we'll come back around to her name, but she is the hot shit economic development site selection consultant out yeah. there. I mean, she gets the great deals. She's demanding. She's successful. She's awesome. She was so kind to me. She had me to her house in Atlanta. We had lunch. Mm. She likes she likes to make art and she is a quilter and all these things. And cool. she gave me incredible advice that I use to this day about how to work for yourself, how to work from home. So I did that. And then before um, I opened this shop, I talked to, again, same kind of thing. And I had that economic development background. So it's no big deal for me to pick up the phone and go, hey, or make an appointment. Right. Can I have an hour of your time? I want to ask how you do these things. Mm -hmm. So before Ephemera Paducah, I was talking to some of those artists like, how do you charge and how do you get paid? And what's, you know, what are you looking for when you're looking to teach? And um, just collected a whole lot of information. There was some business planning software online that I used, and I don't think I've looked at it since. <laughs> at least but it, it helped you get your thoughts together. It helped shape what needs right. to be done when and how right. much money did I need for startup and, um, you know, things like that. Well, and let's talk real quick about um, the beautiful space that you're in. The beautiful space that I'm in. So uh, with, that was part of the process as well. Yeah. I knew I needed a physical location for this adventure. And I looked at a number of places in Paducah. I knew the workshop space needed to be much larger than the retail space. Because mm -hmm. I do not like that when you go to a retreat and you have this much space to work. You right. Know, and it's all, it's all the retail oh, space. Yeah. And people will separate because yeah. they're excited and they're there, but I want to make the experience something different for folks. And my good friend, Karen and Steve Oots yeah. had this beautiful building in Lower Town Paducah, the arts district that they built to be their home upstairs and her art studio and gallery downstairs. Mm -hmm. And you contacted them. They weren't even thinking about selling yet. <laughs> no, I contacted her and she had, that was a bad year for her. And uh, through patients from Zulu, he was visiting yeah. every week to help with some things. And word came back of, you know, we're not really interested in, I asked if I could just rent the downstairs. Mm -hmm. And I said, we're not interested in renting it, but we might be interested in selling you the building. And I'm like, Okay. And I had looked at a number of buildings and everything else was a huge renovation project. And mm -hmm. the building is great for the workshop space. It is really not the best for a retail. I don't get walk-in retail. Right. Um, and I don't know that I, it's one of those, I wish I had it sometimes, but I'm glad I don't sometimes, right. you know, because it's an odd store. People really don't know what to do with half the stuff in here. So Right. And it's it's in a res mostly residential neighborhood, not, right. not in the downtown area. And yeah. I would say that a lot of your retail could be tailored to the people who are coming for the workshops anyways. Well, that's a so. big shop like Drunken Sailors. I mean, that's when I make my money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're on vacation. They have vacation money. The teacher shows I have this pen. Where's that pen? I must have that yeah. pen. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I've gotten a I've whole done that. Lot, <laughs> a whole lot smarter about that. One of the first classes I had was um Sunny Carvalho, who's just lovely, and I met her from going to retreats. 
And she was doing some drawing and had a pen. And she said, "Uh I really like this pen. And everybody would look at me and I'm like, yeah, it probably would have been smart to ask you about that and stock it. Yeah. (laughs) But now you do. Now I do. There's a list, a big list. Yes. Tell me exactly what you're going to be showing. Yeah. So smart. Yeah. So let's talk. You mentioned a name. Let's talk about some of the, um, the amazing instructors that you've had come through. Well, I call them my um, my rock star instructors, and they are. There's a very in any hobby, there is a a community of people that you're in awe of, right? right and right. Um, so again, I had no shame in just calling and asking and saying, "Hey, do you want to teach here?" And they check. They have their own little. They check each other. Check out the they know you know we we talk you know i talk among other venue owners of uh oh this guy you know don't do that but um and then i'm sure the instructors do the same about the the venue spaces everybody's checking everybody out they do the exact same thing about the venue spaces Uh uh-huh uh mary beth shaw who owns stencil girl products has been here a number of times and we're gonna have her on the podcast too yep um seth after who's you know mr mixed media Mm-hmm. Um, Melanie Morris, Ray Missigman, mm-hmm. it all works out this year, supposed to be coming this year. Um, really it, it, each year, um, up until last year, last four years, I've averaged maybe what, 12, 10 or 12 visiting instructors. Mm-hmm. And I try to space those out about three weeks apart at least so that we're not competing for people's time and money in the same, you know, they can't turn around and come back and do two weekends in right. a row. So, yeah. And then I've noticed some growth in your teaching experience. Um, You started Uh out just doing like little brief, uh, an hour or two here and there, or like an open studio to work on things. And as Ephemera Paducah has grown, your teaching has grown and you're doing bigger and more elaborate courses yourself now, which is great Mm -hmm. to see. And, you know, it was, I was so, you know, I was so excited a year ago, January, right? Mm-hmm. Because I felt like I had finally gotten the perfect calendar. So instead of teaching, I would, I still do like an art journaling series that'll last about six weeks and it's an mm-hmm. afternoon, but I'm here anyway. And that kind of helps fill the day. But um, I thought, no, I make, I actually make the most money when I teach because of I course. get the double phenomenon of getting paid and then the shopping that occurs right. uh-huh. in the weekend. Yep. So I scheduled me teaching before or after every uh, national teaching instructor and actually got some feedback on that, that people were, I was competing with myself because people didn't want to, couldn't, they wanted to take one of my classes, but a class ah, was scheduled. Too interesting. Close, so I need to think about that again, but it was filling up nicely. And I had one class that I did like that last built in March, middle of March. It was an art journaling, two day art journaling class. And then it shut down for the year. And was, was that just, the last one that you did? Yes. Yeah. 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 Last year I was able to have Kate Thompson, which I was the, in, which was amazing. In, right? Yes. Yes. And then she has amazing stuff. And she then does. me the next weekend. And then it's been crickets yeah. ever since. Yeah. So anyway, but no, it's been fun. And I've got, um, gotten a lot more confidence teaching and people are asking me and I've, and it's parlayed its way into some online. I haven't done a whole lot of online teaching, but a few, uh, a video, um, with, uh, Oh God, Natalie Callback. I was in uh, Jumpstart, uh, Creative mm-hmm. Jumpstart this year. And that cool. was great. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about 
how, because you own a product-based business and also a teaching business that's bringing mm-hmm. in traveling artists, how did COVID impact you last year? And how did you pivot when everything happened come mm-hmm. March? So you said that last workshop happened around March timeframe. Share with us what happened after yeah, that. What happened after that March? Oh, shit. I, now what? Oh, shit. Now what? Um, I, so, A, I'm very fortunate because I really feel like I just went into hibernation. Um the way I changed my registration fees a couple of years back really, really, really helped with cash flow. So when someone, um, I do this thing where you pay $99 and it holds your spot. And then the rest of the money comes, you know, generally about two, 45 days before the, the start of class. Mm-hmm. So when I get paid for, and I know when I have a class, I'm going to have to write a big check to a teacher. And then I'm also going to have to buy product before that class. Right. So I have what they need. And, you know, that game of how much do I buy and what are they going to buy? That kind of stuff. So I've had a, for years, I've had a sweep account where I know I can't spend this money. <laughs> you know, So yeah. this goes over here and I just don't even look at it. But I know the $99 is essentially my profit off of the class registration okay. fee. So I know what I can spend. Right. 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 So, and I had, so I swept a lot of money aside and I, we own the building. So that's nice. And, and my biggest expenses are when I have classes, I buy lunches, I buy the product, Mm -hmm. I pay the teacher. So really it's just very minimal expenses when I don't have classes going on. Right. Mm So it, you know, it hurt and it's been a weird kind of year, but I'm not, I'm ready to come back out of it. And I emailed, so it went, we went through a couple of different gyrations. Like everybody else, we thought, oh, surely by the fall, this will be over. So I started rescheduling classes to farther in the year, kicking it down the road. And unfortunately, there were a couple of people early that got rescheduled more than once. And then June 1st, I I just thought, no, this is done. The year shot. (laughs) I just did the entire year. And and lots of communication with the students. And if someone wanted a refund, I gave a refund and um, was able to because I had that sweep account. Mm-hmm. Other places were not, you know, their cash flow is different and yeah. they were stuck. Yeah. I mean, they, they had already spent the money they got from the class fees anticipating that next round of income right. from when they came and did all that. So June 1, I just rescheduled everybody. And my next class is... June 2021. And you pretty much just took, didn't you take your schedule from, from 2020 and say, okay, we're just going to change the year. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I haven't put me on there yet. I need to re-up, but I want, I just had my first shot uh, Monday. Me too. So, Ooh, congratulations. Yeah. So April, after April 5th, like two weeks after that, I'll feel comfortable teaching again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just re- redid, and then I only let Seth was teaching, but he had already scheduled into 2021. He schedules about two years out, uh, and I don't know if he's going to come this year or not. It's just kind of total right. question mark. He he holed up. He didn't leave his apartment building for like 90 days or something. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. I think one of the smart things that you did when all of this started was that you and Seth got together and did a survey. Right. Mm-hmm. Of, yeah, of we want to talk about people. the survey for sure. I'm, 
I, yeah. I'm curious about that process. Um, I know that, you know, the data is a year old now, but, yeah. but I am curious about, you know, what prompted you to go, okay, this is something I need to do. Well, that's part of that's my nature. I have a master's in planning. I mm-hmm. used to do a ton of survey work and I, I've got, I'm anxious now too, as far as what the next steps are, but it, talk about anxiety last year of, oh my God, what do, what do we do? And, um, Seth and I were on a, just a friend Zoom call together, and he mentioned he was doing a survey. And he went, you're doing a survey? I'm doing a survey. Let's combine forces. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so we did just to ask about, you know, when do you when do you want to start having classes? And we did it in May, and then we repeated it, I think, in August. But it was great information just to understand. That survey really helped me make the decision. Nobody's coming to a class in 2020. Right. And you everybody's know, in still scared. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and in retrospect, yeah. it really there were a few venues that tried it, but I think people, you know, you could you've done survey work and you know that the early on, especially the ones that were saying, "Oh, it's a hoax. I don't want to. I don't want to do this." Yeah, um, those are you know, or, or I don't, I don't believe it. Those are the ones you really didn't want to have in your class, right? Because so. <laughs> they're the ones <laughs> spreading it. <laughs> yeah. We'll link to the survey results so that people can yeah, can see it. Yeah. But let's talk about just like a couple of the one or two like main takeaways from it and what you might think is different now. And are you thinking about maybe doing another survey? Mm-hmm. Well, we talked about that just the other day. Um, I don't think we're going to do another survey to answer that question. Seth has a, a group uh, and he posted a question in there. When are you ready to come back to class? Mm-hmm. And it was all over the board. Um, well, I, I, I haven't studied it, but it looked like a third were ready now. Mm-hmm. A third would be ready as soon as they feel fully vaccinated. And then a third said, no, they're not coming back ever. And wow. uh, they're worried about the travel and the, and the unintended consequence of COVID has been um, people like, like Seth has done amazing uh, people who have turned, who, um, you can't take a two hour class from Seth after in real life, uncovid. Right. Times. Right. If you're going to take a class from Seth. It's a three day weekend and you're looking at, you know, with travel and class fees and everything else, a couple of thousand dollars, right. you know, mm-hmm. you do it all cheaper than that, but let's just, you know, so he, he started teaching online. So two hours, 25 bucks, 600 people doing it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, so people have really embraced. So the second survey showed so much more than the first one. People really embracing the online learning. Yeah. And what I don't know is that my assumption is that as soon as those gates open and people can have in-person instruction again, we're going to be overwhelmed. I yeah. think so. Because I think people miss it so much. Now, yeah. I've taken some online classes. It's been great. You can sit there in your pajamas. You don't have the travel, Mm -hmm. all those costs involved. But a lot of people who really poo-pooed online learning embraced it this past year. And I would agree with that because I used to teach in-person workshops once a month. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I moved to Zoom. And I've also Mm -hmm. developed an online class recently. But 
people are craving that connection. That connection. So Zoom is the closest they can get at the moment. And they're okay yeah. with Zoom, but they're all like, man, as soon as we can get back into a room together, they want that. Um, and I think the challenge is being able to do that safely, you know, finding new ways to do right. that safely. I love online learning and I love not leaving my house and not putting pants on. <laughs> but I also have felt that isolation too. And I love mm-hmm. getting in a weekend workshop and just mm-hmm. immersing myself in that, that I can't do on a zoom because it's my, my day to, well, yeah. and my day to day work is calling me when I'm sitting at home doing it. Mm-hmm. When I leave and go somewhere else, even if it's just to your place, which is two blocks from my house, I can let the, the day to day stuff go and really immerse myself in it. So I think, I yeah. think there's going to be room for people to, to change their business so that maybe it's half and half. And the other thing I want to say is that the type of classes that you are hosting are ones where I think you get just as much benefit from seeing everybody else's work and what they're doing, like when you're working on it, like especially mixed media and stuff like that, because it sparks Mm -hmm. ideas. And if you're sitting on a Zoom call, you can't see somebody else's table and like think you're just watching one person demo. Yeah. yeah, you're watching the one person demo. So there's that community aspect, but I think you learn from the other students sometimes too. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, um, I, it, there's just nothing like that, you know, fourth hour into a workshop where everybody's calmed down and quiet and in the zone. And I, I work and create so much better if there's just another living being in the room. It's weird. I can get so much more busy work done if I've got a studio helper here doing stuff because I just can't, you know, dick off and, and watch <laughs> Netflix down here with somebody, you know. <laughs> well, with um, strategic positioning and headphones, never mind. <laughs> like, okay, you're working, I'm, I'm paying you, so right, I ought to be doing right. something to definitely. pay for you. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, so, and I, I create, I, I can do some things I create really well by myself, but then there's some, I, again, I think I do better work or I learn a whole lot better around some other folks, yeah. like I said, looking at other folks and the, and, and the building of the tribe, the, the biggest unintended, the, the thing that I didn't anticipate at all was, um, this whole new group of friends and people and, um, experiences that um, have just so enriched my life. Um, my world was, was pretty, you know, I don't know. It's just been fantastic doing this. Let's talk about that because I know that from my experience taking workshops there, you have um, a set of people who just keep coming back and taking more oh, and yeah. more workshops and you've mm-hmm. formed a, a Facebook group for yeah. your for your workshop peeps. My peeps. Yeah. So talk about that a bit. <laughs> the most interesting thing is when I, not the most, but when I opened up Ephemera Paducah, I advertised locally. I was in Paducah Life. I was buying ads. And I just assumed, you know, Paducah, McCracken County in Western Kentucky would go, oh my God, finally, a mixed media workshop and supply store. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have five local clients, Nikki being one of them. (laughs) You're kind of in a good geographic place because um, there's not much around. So you're going to attract people. Well, it's, it's really, there's a a couple of things that I've, I have figured out. So 
um, early on, I tried to be everything to everybody. So I would do project oriented classes where you come make a wreath and you come do this. And, and quite frankly, that it was not a good fit for me because it was people who um, don't make art on a regular basis. And so it was challenging for them and it was stressful. And so it might be a group of friends and everybody's happy, but one person is not, and they would suck all the time out of the energy out of the room. Yeah. So I quit, I quit doing that stuff, you know? Um, and then I focused really on my tribe, which is people who, who leave. What I say is when you come take a class at a from Paducah, my students go home and make art afterwards. It's mm-hmm. not, waiting until they can go make another wreath somewhere. Yeah. So they're learning the techniques to take home. They're and, learning right. the techniques. They're making them their own. So 95% of my students come from drive in from uh, at least three hours away, if not further. I mean, St. Louis, wow. Atlanta. I get a lot of students from there, Lexington. And I, have I know people from Texas who have come. So. Who have come. Um, I had people, Dina Wakely is such a huge name and she draws people from all over. I had two ladies from Alaska. Wow. Come to take classes. I wish I had a big map because I think I have hit every state. And I started realizing this and I'm like, I call the tourism going, well, Hey, you want to know my numbers? You know? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, it is a, it is a destination instead of a, and then I have people, I always say I'm open by chance or appointment. What my gateway drug to this was, um, rubber stamps, <laughs> you know, oh, back yes. in, you know, it was a card maker galore. I love rubber. I, stamps. I, I used to design for hero arts, rubber stamps. Oh, I, still love <laughs> rubber st- I still have every rubber stamp I've ever owned. They're taking up half of the supply room because I can't get rid of them. But, John has driven me anytime we would go to a new city. Of course, you're looking up. Is there a rubber stamp store? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Viva Las Vegas stamps and Stamper Rosa. And so he would dr- sit out in the car and I'd be in there. just, <laughs> <laughs> You know, so FEMA is like that for a lot of folks. This is a good stopping point. Um, people are planning trips to stop here and shop on the way to Florida or back or up mm-hmm. to so it is a destination. Um, I get some, lo- like I said, I may have 10 local clients, but, uh, and people who do take the same classes over and over and it is lovely. It is just absolutely lovely. Well, let's also mention real briefly, you don't just have new art supplies in the shop. You have a lot of actual ephemera. You have, ephemera, you have yes. vintage, vintage things that you find in mm-hmm. junk stores and antique places along the way. So, I mean, and that is fun to do in toolboxes galore. And, I think yeah. I may, I think I may have one or three toolboxes that I got <laughs> from you. <laughs> I finally, I'm finally priced the red ones. I didn't, I wouldn't sell the red ones for the longest time. She was time, hogging have, the red toolboxes. I, have, well, I just try, I just charge out the ass for them. If, you know, if you're going to buy a red toolbox, you're going to pay for it. Everything has so, a price. Everything has a price. So I, yeah, I try to I, curate is probably an overused word, but I try to stock things that you are not going to find. Most of the stuff you will not find in Hobby Lobby or Michael's, you yeah, know, it is right. yeah. the, the full line of golden acrylic paints, the golden mm-hmm. heavy bodied acrylic, uh, acrylics, um, all of Seth Apter's new stuff from Aladine, which comes from France, the paper artsy paints now coming from France mm-hmm. and the things that you're going to walk in and not find other places and ephemera. So again, because of the collage and the mixed media aspect and everything else, 
then um, and then some fiber arts as well. We've uh, Sarah Renzuli who owns. She'd be a great one to interview. Sarah, she's Fina on my fiber she's art. on my list. She's on my list. She's fantastic. Yeah. Um, she has grown that business like nothing I've ever seen. She started about when I did, and she has just blown it out of the water with the needle, needle felting. felting. Yeah. yeah. And she's taught here a number of times. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it's a fun people. I, I say um, we have the, we have had the quilt uh, show. We're not having it this year. I didn't have it last year, but like, I don't know, they say 25, 30,000 quilters descend upon Western Kentucky. Wow. And you'll have four women walk in and one of them's just the fun mixed media person who's along for the ride. And three of them will go, oh, what is this place? And one will go, oh, give me everything. This place? <laughs> it's a kid in a candy shop, right? Yeah. And you know, yeah. someone walks in, whether or not they get it or not. You're like, okay, you're my customer. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You three go on. She'll catch up. Yeah. So is your store currently open? Uh, is, is By chance or appointment is what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. But let's okay. also talk about all the things that you've brought online since this all yes. happened. So I know that you started with what you call sussies. Sussies. So sussies. let's tell let's tell about those. Oh yeah. What is a yeah, sussy? Yeah. A sussy. So back in April, I was in my shop and I thought, well, I just need to do a Facebook Live. And I just started talking and I said, I'm going to show you what's in the shop and on Facebook. And so we wandered all around. And I said, you know, and this is my mother. So I credit my mother with a lot of stuff. She was an incredible craftswoman. She could knit a sweater in three days. She did any kind of arts and crafts all the time. And um, so if we were, I remember being five or six at Woolworths and I would ask for a new doll and she would go, no. But if I asked for the loom where you made potholders, of course, <laughs> so I could get smart any- mom. Any art supply I could get or art classes. And she, but then she discovered in, later in life, QVC and all those things. She was a love, she loved to shop. <laughs> and in my, you know, in my twenties and early thirties, I would be on the phone with her and I'd be having a bad day at work or mad at a boyfriend or just, you know, feeling ugly. And my mother would go, Oh, Chrissy. Do you need a little sussy? <laughs> and I would go, well, yes, yes, I need a little sussy. And about three or four days later, something would show up in my mailbox, and it could be a purse or a, a outfit or something. But she would go buy me something to make me feel better. Where Aww. did that word come from? It's a it's a southern thing, I think. It's just a little gift, a little. If someone, uh, a friend of mine, used it too. If they'd come go on vacation and they'd bring sussies back for everybody, you know how you bring gifts back from your vacation, so little surprise gifts, little surprise gifts. So I asked my Facebook friends, and I said, "All right, do you need a little sussy?" And so overwhelmingly, I mean, the it answer was, was yes. Yes, I think in. Um, April and May, I sent out like a hundred sussies. So I said, give me a, give me a, a price range and tell me a few things about your, you know, what colors you like, what aesthetic you have, blah, blah, blah. And if I was smart, I would have written down what I've sent everybody. But I, was, <laughs> <laughs> I was not that smart, but, um, Part of it, though, is it's nice because I feel like I know my customers. Right. And yeah. so a lot of the people asking for sussies I've met and they've been here for classes and I know what classes they've taken. So I'll put together a box of stuff 
And then, mm-hmm. you know how it is, you always want a little something extra. So I would make up, you know, little packets of collage papers or charms mm-hmm. or something, just a little something extra. And I always write a note and it looks pretty and people get sussy. So on my website now, you can order a sussy. I and think that's probably just as much fun for you as it is for them to like oh, it is. Oh, put yeah. it all together. Yeah, it really is fun to put together. Yeah. And it helped make up somewhat for people not being able to come in and it shop. It did. It was very nice. Yeah, it was some nice income. And then I did that. And then I tried um, a Facebook sale, which was successful, but so much work. Right. Between, oh, my gosh. So what does a Facebook sale mean? In, in past years, I would do them at Christmas time where I would have bundles of stuff. And in a Facebook Live, I would show it and say the price. And then someone would say sold. And then you have to like track them down and get the money and get the address and ship it up and mail it out. Then then in August or so, I took pictures of everything I wanted to sell. And I always do bundles. I've resisted doing picking just because I want to sell more at one time. And I know what, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, I want a larger sale for all that effort. Mm-hmm. So I, I would bundle stuff and take pictures. And then people just write sold on the Facebook post. So I got, and I had some, like some paper artsy paints that I was worried about just you know, we really need to be using these paints and I want to get a fresh batch of paints. And so I discounted those. I got all my paper artsy was sold in August and then I restocked in December. Um, but then Nikki and I started working together for an actual online shop. Mm-hmm. Originally, I designed and built Kristen's current website for Ephemera mm-hmm. Paducah. And since we launched that, I don't remember how many years ago that was. 2015 or 16. Yeah, something like that. So we've since then we've been doing all of the uh, workshop registration online, but not Mm -hmm. selling retail because you were concerned about having things online versus having them in the shop and managing inventory and not Mm -hmm. wanting to sell like just individual pieces here and there. Mm -hmm. But once you started, once you weren't having the the workshops and you started doing these bundles and it was a pain to do on Facebook, we started talking about how we could bring that online and do them online and synchronize it with your, with your inventory in the shop versus on the website. So now. Mm-hmm. Well, and that was a big thing last year because we transitioned from Talic to square, mm-hmm. which allowed us to do that. And that yep. needed to happen. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So now, now Kristen can sell these online through the website and not through Facebook. And that avoids oh. all the, Oh my God. You know. And then you have it tied into pirate ship and WooCommerce and they all talk. And then it's like, okay, print. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So much better. Yeah. Okay. A, little more, a, a little more work, a little more work up front, but then oh, once it's yeah. set up now, it's so just, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. yeah. Kristen, I totally get it because I was teaching my workshops and selling everything um, via email and then they would come yeah. back and then I would say, what's your shipping address? And then, I mean, and literally oh. doing everything through PayPal manually. And yep. now I'm using WooCommerce like you. And it's just like, oh, I can print a shipping label after they've ordered it. It's like yes, I bought the, the amazing. Little printer, the little <laughs> label printer now is part of, I have a new scale. I was just, I have this janky ass scale. I mean, the, <laughs> the glue was gone. So you had to like, for two years, I've been weighing packages. I looked at it, it was $24. I'm <laughs> myself to a new scale. Yeah. 
Some of the shipping companies will give you a free scale when you sign up with them. No, no, that didn't, I, yeah, no. So now I have, I feel like the USPS back here. So let me tell you. So, oh yeah. Um, so the, the shop, you know, and Nikki and I had a, a, we were like this a little bit on the shop. Cause finally I said, no, 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 I do not want everything in my shop online. I'm right. not. Mm-hmm. And we, and, and so I, it's, I call it a pop-up shop. So I will populate it at different times. But I think that also builds anticipation and excitement. Scarcity. Um, Scarcity. I did something Mm -hmm. with Seth recently. He had um, with Aladdin, he had 12 uh, independent shops who he promoted and they could pre-order his new uh, texture texture and and some of his new products that just came out. So I was part of that. And that was nice to be, Mm -hmm. to have that. And, but then I've taken it down because I need to recount and figure out what I got and what's coming in and then put it back up. But um, yeah, so now you have the ability to, you, you have everything in place. So right. you can, so Kristen likes to travel and leave town mm-hmm. a lot. So when mm-hmm. she's not going to be around, she just, I just take it down, shuts yeah. the sh- shop down temporarily, builds up that suspense for the next time she's going to be opening it. And then she says, hey, new products in the shop. Here we go. Here we yeah, go. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And then I assume that you have also built an email list over time with all the people that have taken your workshops mm-hmm. that you can then tell them about the products, right? I have. And I, I am, I used to be, it, uh, I was a pretty good once a month or if maybe 10 times a year kind of thing. And now I have been so bad this year, if, mainly because I'm, I'm a little flat-footed is what do you say? You know, I've emailed a few times saying, okay, this is what's happening. I emailed about the, um, you know, if if I was opening back up the shop, but it's been, I need to get one out like yesterday and um, let people shop for the next couple of weeks because I'm in town and let that happen. But yeah, I need to, there's all this long list of things I need to do and that being a better emailer is one of them. Oh, well, me as Same. well. So <laughs> you're not alone. I <laughs> as I went through my, I think what happened to the email with the instructions, I, I had let my inbox get up to 10,000 emails. So I've been deleting <gasps> a lot of stuff lately. So. <laughs> but as I went through, I'm like, you know, is this where my emails are? I don't want to over, you know, I'm very conscious not to spam folks and write too much. So yeah, that's my big, well, big juicy people want to hear from you because you have an amazing yeah. product. You offer you offer something unique that they can't get at a box store. You're also offering amazing teachers from all around the country. I know Melanie Morris was one of the ones on your list that's mm-hmm. coming, and I actually took her workshop in Dallas when she came through Dallas, yeah. and that was amazing. The Fearless Florals workshop was so much fun. So knowing that you can go to this awesome space and, you know, participate with other people, you know, once we get past this difficult stage right. that we're all in, um, it's it's unique. And I want to get emails like that, you know, to let right. me know what the new things are. So we have to get past our own mindset sometimes of not wanting to annoy everybody. And that, so just a kind of a dogleg conversation. When, when the space, when you take a workshop here, there's certain, I have a level of expectation for what your experience will be like. And the things that are important to me are a lot of communication up front, pretty much a concierge experience. Mm -hmm. I will tell people where to get dinner reservations. We will have one night out with everybody and the teacher, whoever wants to go. And in particular, I will, we have great local restaurants. For a town our size, it's amazing Mm -hmm. the quality of food you can get here in Paducah. 
So I have a, a great, I have probably, what is it, 2,000 square feet, Nikki, or at least 19, 1,700 square yeah, feet of studio yeah. space. And then there's a patio in the back. Beautiful the patio. Open up. Beautiful patio. I have lots of seating out there. So food is included, your day food is included in your registration fee. And so, not just lunch. Kristen will snacks. make a different spa water every day. Oh, yeah, You'll have like <laughs> cucumber and mint or citrus and Kristen, you something. don't miss any details, do you? No, no she no, they're important. I grow herbs and in the back and that goes into the and spa. bowls of chocolate. Lots chocolate is an art supply at ephemera paducah and always a healthy alternative. There's always fruit, but nobody ever eats the apples. They just languish. <laughs> <laughs> Coffee and and so tea all day. Yeah. 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 She yeah, does so a really beautiful job. But that makes it so special, right? And and, and it takes out yeah. the worry because I know when I go to workshops, uh, personally, a lot of times I even want to like almost work through lunch. If I'm really going on something, I don't yeah. want to be away for like two hours or an hour or whatever. No, I hate that. I mean, no, mm-hmm. you just lose your... So really you can... Um, we'll stop for lunch and you... You can go out and you get to order your lunch, unless it's a really big class and you'll still have options for a buffet, but we order and I've learned ahead of time to get your order and I'll get that to the right place. And um, nine times out of 10, it works great. and It shows up on time, but you can, you can wolf down your lunch and get back to your work if you want. And the teacher, the weather's nice. You sit outside and linger over it. Yeah. Yes. And um, he or she will decide how much time they want to take and if they need to. And so we also have, we, we mentioned the Utsis lived upstairs. So the second floor of the building is called the loft. And when I first bought the building, I had tenants. I had two different sets of tenants, longer term. And they, um, oddly enough, they were attorney, They were all attorneys. Yeah, at least one person in each family mm-hmm. was an attorney. And then they each adopted children while they lived up there. Interesting. And there's this long, scary stairway. I would not be hauling no, stuff up not. and down that stairway with a baby. Little kids? Uh-uh. But it's such, such a beautiful it's space a beautiful up there. beautiful space. It's amazing. So I uh, furnished it, I want to say, what, three or four years ago? The days of years of blending together. It's been a while. But it's one it's, I can offer a private room up there to the teacher, which cuts down on their costs. And mm. then I can rent out the beds or somebody can rent the whole loft for the workshop and um, have their friends in there. And then it's on Airbnb in non COVID times. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So that it sounds so out. fun. I want to come. <laughs> come on, let's do it. Let's do it. As soon as those workshops open up again. Yeah. You need to come for one, Laura. That'd be My so fun. My plan, it's in, it's in flux and hope. So if this is four weeks away, then I will have talked to all of my teachers before this. Um, my plan is if I've been vaccinated and the teacher has been vaccinated, we'll host the class and I'm going to, and we'll follow whatever CDC guidelines are in place at the time. Nice. I'm assuming the social distancing will still be important. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm going to ask the teachers to consider if they'll add days on either end. And so it's a, if it's two day class, they'll teach for four days and we'll split it into oh, two nice. groups. Yeah. Yeah. Or if they, we can extend it a day for a two day class and have a morning session, um, pick everybody out, clean, have an evening afternoon session. Really what it's up to their stamina. 
the place is big enough that you can still have a reasonable number of people in there, right? Each at their own table. Um, we could have twelve, and um, everybody would have their own table, and that would be six feet apart, mm-hmm. technically. Yeah. And a couple of years ago, I put in an overhead projection system. Yeah, that's so helpful. I have a, a docu camera where. And it, so you don't have to huddle around the right, teacher. Right, because everybody always demo. crams yeah. in close yeah. to watch, but so that's the awesome. teacher sits and yeah. there's a screen yeah. and it works really well. We had mm-hmm. a very crowded, Seth and Mary Beth talked together a couple of years ago and they used it and it was so nice because it was a huge class and a crowded class and everybody could see. So great. Very cool. So one of the questions we have, you know, a lot of our audience are people who are just starting out. Mm-hmm. and Looking back on all of everything that's happened, you know, and and kind of where we're at right now, what is some of your advice and maybe some resources that you think have been really helpful for you to get to where you are today um, for for people who are starting out? And also, well, a lot of people are like, like all of us who have had corporate careers, have always done art, but maybe put it on the back burner and are, Mm -hmm. are trying to make that transition from the corporate world to starting their their own thing. Exactly. What kind yeah. of advice would you give somebody to really make uh, that leap? A, you asked the wrong question. You're going to get a lot of data dump here. No, um, that's good. We like that. <laughs> we like that. We're, we're left brain, right brain people. So we, we like that. The story that I tell folks is, <laughs> so my background was economic development, right? Mm-hmm. I have a master's degree in planning. I love planning. I love looking ahead, all this. And actually, one of the things I've I've done a lot of volunteering for different things here in Paducah, and I actually led a think tank on entrepreneurial development for, I was 12 to 18 months, where I, um, and I had a a co-chair, but he and I would, you know, we put together these really smart people in our community to talk about how can we foster more entrepreneurial development in Paducah, McCracken County. And that, and I don't know if Nikki, you remember Entre Paducah was the mm-hmm. brainchild of, of that. Yep. And then as different people came in and out of the economic development group, it was raised and lowered in importance. And now what Monica and Suzanne are doing is a lot of what yeah. the, the, was in there. So when I opened up my business, I was rather arrogant. And I thought, oh, I know. I know everything. I've let a think tank on entrepreneurial development. This is going to, three years. Oh yeah, no. Yeah, three years. Three years before you start making a profit. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, <laughs> you have to be prepared. Yeah, you have to be prepared. Um, the other thing, and and so what I tell people is, I understand within six months, I knew exactly why so many small businesses fail, and it, they do fail at a remarkable. The number that make it out of a year is just. I forget what, I don't know the current statistic, but you know, it's like 75% fail. It's, it's a ridiculous number. And my analysis is, is you have to know what the most important thing for you to do that day is. So you just absolutely have to know your next best step, your next best step. And then I will ask myself, is this going to make you money? Really? Really? Is this going to make, you know, it would be great. And there's this wonderful piece down at French Station with all the uh-huh. little cubbies. I don't know if you saw it yesterday, but I'm like, is that going to sell more paint? You, you, I know you want it, but is it going to sell more paint? It's going to look adorable. So you have to. So I understand why you default to a comfort zone or default to something that makes you feel accomplished. Like 
cleaning your shop or sweeping your walk or doing a comfort level thing. Procrasta working. Procrasta working <laughs> and in and a comfort zone working and not doing what is the most important thing for you to do that day. Mm. So that's one is the, the it's going to take a while to make money Two, you've got to figure that out extremely quickly. And the thing that I didn't do enough of early on, and I felt like I was kind of limping along was knowing where to invest because you do have to spend some money to make money. Right. Mm-hmm. So but you've got to figure where, out where the best use of those dollars is. Yes. So what did you find? What, what was your answer to that? Like what areas do you think are important to invest in? Yeah, the Sonny Carvalho example. I I am a I'm I'm a cash flow girl. I can look at my checking account and understand how much money I have and how much I'm gonna have to spend on a teacher or have that sweep account. And I was afraid to go into any more debt to buy merchandise to sell. But then I had all that missed opportunity not having what the people wanted. And so it was a, a finite amount of money I was going to make off of them from just being there and taking the class. Right. Mm-hmm. And that would have been a smart debt. <laughs> that would have been a smart debt. And so I started spending a little more on product and now it's a comfortable thing. I know, Oh yeah, I can sell this or I can get, you know, comfortable thing. Um, so knowing when to spend that and also, um, you know, even advertising, figure out your, your advertising, what's your social media channel Someone had told me perfect one, you know, you go in and you feel like you have to be on all of them Mm -hmm. all the time. And I probably spend 75% of my time on Facebook and maybe 20 on Instagram and maybe five on Pinterest. Mm -hmm. And I feel woefully behind. I feel like I need to even that out. I had someone helping me, um, Jessica, who's Uh a friend of mine and Nikki's helped me. She was fantastic for a long time. And I think I just had her for 10 hours a month, but just to help me keep up with social media and being on calendars and everything else. And that was a great, but I think you're smart because your audience is on Facebook. My audience is on Facebook, but more and more I'm hearing from my friends, a lot of uh, feedback about Instagram. And I just feel like I need to do a little more on there, but, but focusing on one and get it down pat. I mean, I know Facebook. Until yeah. it's a habit and you can do it without right. thinking and then focus on and the next one. Add the second. And that um, that advice works for any part of your business. Anytime you want to add mm-hmm. a new service, a new anything, get a new system, get what you're doing down to where it's habit you don't even have to think about and then add something new. And I'm really great at saying that. I'm not great at doing it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then there was, the, I wrote this down because I wanted to talk about it, but, um, so Jessica was working with me. I think it was probably, I was probably two and a half years in business. Maybe mm-hmm. it must've been two or three because it was right after quilt week, but I was not looking being the planner that I am and the expert in entrepreneurial development. I had not been looking far enough down the road. So I was really focused on, and it's a square peg in a round hole. One year, I'm going to make money off of Quilt Week. I swear to God, I do not make big money off of Quilt Week. They're not my customers, but mm-hmm. they should be. They just don't know it. <laughs> they don't know it, damn it. Um, but I had really focused on Quilt Week, which is in uh, end of April in Paducah. And I had a fresh, didn't make the money that I thought I needed to make off of it. And then it was crickets. In May, I did not sell a single class in the month of May. 
Really? And really. And I had I had just focused on Quilt Week. I hadn't I wasn't promoting down. Oh, you road. weren't pro- you weren't promoting because anything. right. No, and poor Jessica came down here. We had our and I remember I cried the entire meeting. Oh. I sobbed. I'm like, oh, I don't know how we're gonna pay anybody with this. We're gonna have to shut down and blah blah blah. <laughs> Went home and cried all during dinner and John was really sweet and he's like, No, this is you know Made and you one of his amazing cocktails. Made me one of his amazing <laughs> cocktails. But he has a phrase that is another important phrase. Remember that the path to success or failure is the same path. I mean, you just work it. Mm-hmm. So Jessica and I went into overdrive and I said, okay, we've got this much money. We've got this much time. And we just busted our butts. And immediately we start, you know, uh, I, it, we put that effort in and there it was, but it was, it's, and I was telling Brandy Harless about this and she said, Oh yeah, you hit your cliff. And apparently there's this thing in entrepreneurial development where you will get to a cliff and it is a sheer drop off. And what you do, whether you jump over the chasm or fall down. And that was my cliff of, Ah. Oh my gosh, how do I go forward from here? I could not see a way forward. I knew how much money was in the bank. I knew what teachers were coming. I knew. And but it was that uh-oh, we so from then on out, we started working a lot farther down the road, promoting yeah. a lot farther. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how if you actually promote things and market them, they will sell. <laughs> they should. And, and, yeah. And I, I think I was doing it too close to the, I mean, when you think about it, I so what I tend to do is talk to my, you talk about a year and a half in advance and then I start teasing in the summertime. And then in September, I will announce for the next year. Mm-hmm. And then I always, the Peeps is great because I would, on my Facebook group page or in Peeps, I would ask people, who do you want to, you know, how mm-hmm. I got Melanie Morse. Who do you want to come teach? Melanie Morse. All right, I'll call and ask her. Um, yeah. And so filling those needs has been, has been good. And asking what people want is so important versus just assuming that you already know the right. answer, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to talk about. Um, so I think when I knew that I had made it was when um, it, so Jessica, again, working with Jessica, I was like, I want to be in where women create. I want to be in where women create. How do we get that? And we mm-hmm. researched and we, we tried, we found and we, we in, and it never, it didn't happen. And then one Friday afternoon, I'm waiting on John and I'm flipping through my phone. And this is in the early days of Instagram Messenger. Mm-hmm. So I open up my phone and I see that someone who I followed and loved their work had liked pretty much every picture on my Instagram feed. Yeah. And I was going, oh, oh my God. Oh my, oh my God. This guy. And I wanted, I was trying to figure out a non geeky way of saying, thank you for liking me, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and as I'm trying to compose this, you know, thank you, dude. I get this Instagram messenger come across. Uh-huh. I went, oh, and this message, who's a photographer that, um, I can't remember the magazine. It's not folk, but there's an online magazine who I followed. He was the photographer for that. And he said, Hey, have you ever been in where women create? No, but I want to. And I said, no, but it's a dream. He said, okay, well, we're looking, would you like, and I'm like, well, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I usually I'm this incredibly collaborative work together kind of person. That guy told me he was coming to town. I didn't tell a soul, not a soul. (laughs) (laughs) And 
turns out this kid, this young man, he looked to be early 20s and the head of the Beaver Dam Tourism Commission drove to Paducah. He lived in Beaver Dam, Kentucky. Which is and, as big as you think it is. Wow. <laughs> yes. And he drove, he never drove way, well, never had been to Paducah. He hadn't heard about the artistry location or oh, anything wow. like that. So he came and took a lot of photos. And then I took him out to lunch and I said, well, how did you find out about Ephemera Paducah? And he said, well, you tagged us in some, we've been following you. You tagged us in some photographs. And I think they had a contest or something. You know, there's some things like that that I would uh-huh. keep track of. And he said, but you're, you're all the Beaver Dam Arts Council can talk about. Oh, wow. Oh, or, wow. Or not Arts Council, but uh, Art Guild. Yeah. If they wanted to take a road trip and come here. So don't underestimate where those things here, you know, it wasn't yeah. a big, such a small world. Like a photographer guy. And he, he laughed. I said, yeah, he, he was very surprised with the Paducah. He said, man, I thought there'd be a sizzler in your place. And that was it. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've got a lot more going on we than, uh, than, than you think. So that was a, you know, that was a high holy moment for me to make it in that magazine. Yeah. And, and then a lot, it was interesting for about a year afterwards, people would show up in the shop and you know, it was other women who wanted to start their own shops. And uh-huh. This one lady, someone make appointments and I'll talk to anybody and tell them anything, obviously. And, but one lady was here just shopping. She said, now you are in, the, now you do, you do well, don't you? And I said, eh, I, I get paid in wholesale art supplies and free art classes. And she said, oh, <laughs> but you still do well. I'm like, no, girl, no, no, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to send your children to college on what you're going to make here. But if you want wholesale art supplies and a lot of free art classes, do it. Yeah. That's great. But you've also been in a couple other publications and on uh, podcasts I, yeah. and you like um, you were on the, um, so the the left brain artist. So come back around to Kate McEnroe, the high powered consultant. Oh, right, right, mm-hmm. right. And she listens to the left brain artist. Mm-hmm. And she sent me some, I guess she gets my newsletter and she said, oh my gosh, you should listen to this podcast. So again, not being shy, I said, left, I said, hey, if you ever need someone to interview, I'll mm-hmm. talk to you. And it came back around and then Kate was listening to it. She said, oh my God, you're famous. You know, you're famous. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been on that. And then I'm a stencil girl creator. I've submitted work to um, Somerset Studio, my, the art journaling. I've been in that. What else, Nikki? I don't, uh, I'm trying to picture all of the framed clippings you have in your bathroom wall. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, um, no, that was very, you know, those were some milestone. Yeah, definitely. Moments. Yeah, that's definitely. amazing. Those were all good. You are passionate. You are a stardust. You figured it out as you went along and mm-hmm. you have done amazing things. And you're, Thank you're, you. you're providing access to these amazing artists and classes and creativity for people. And that is, yeah. to me, that is the highest, one of the highest callings. I'm not a mother, wow. so I can't say that, but <laughs> I would say being able to provide creativity and help people get in touch with that side of themselves. And I think you do that incredibly well. Well, thank you. And it is, you know, I I didn't realize that until, you know, the, the Cliff conversation with John. John was like, do you understand what you're doing for all these people? And I didn't until he said that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, and people do. They love coming here and it's a place you can't. And, and unfortunately, I wish more. I wish there were more places because I think COVID has hit a bunch of them and it's hard to figure out the finances of it. Um, 
but there are fewer and fewer places to go get a weekend like this. And right. I wish there were more because I yeah. think the more people who do this, the more they do it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, for our audience who's listening, mm-hmm. we want you all to get vaccinated yes. and then sign up for upcoming workshops at Ephemera Paducah and come to Paducah and see us. <laughs> and how can our listeners find you, Kristen, online? Well, Ephemera is spelled... Uh oh! <laughs> Rattle it off. E P H E M E R A. Ephemera Paducah, and um, on every social media channel, and ephemerapaducah.com, and Facebook, and Instagram, and Pinterest, LinkedIn, all those places. So well, yeah. we'll definitely put links to that in our show notes. Yeah, Twitter's a whole lot more personal these days, so don't put Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll skip. We'll skip that one. We'll skip si- we'll- Twitter. Yeah. Now everybody's going to go, what would she say on Twitter? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but go to com slash ephemera paducah. And we'll yeah. link to all of the places and uh, show some photos of her beautiful space. Thank you. Nice to meet you, Laura. This was fun. So nice to meet you, too. It's been a blast. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Good to see you, Yay. Nikki. Yay. Same here. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. still listening? In case you were wondering why Nikki didn't mention the word bourbon in this episode. I got to tell you, Laura, you know, the drink that I make for myself before we record with the cherry and the black walnut bitters. I got that from uh, John and Kristen. They had a Zoom cocktail hour with me and some other friends. And John and Kristen delivered cocktails to our front porch. Wow. There was about a month during COVID we thought we're missing drinking with people. So yeah. we would pick a few people every week and go, do you want a cocktail? Yeah. <laughs> so Aww. we would mix it up and drop it off in yep. cute little mason jars and yep. the cherries and everything. Yep. He is a great mixologist. He is. Yeah, the Black Walnut Manhattan is my favorite drink of his. Mine isn't a perfect one because I don't have the... Um, the Amaro? Do you have the Amaro? I don't have yeah. the Amaro. I need to get that. Yeah, that makes a big difference, yeah. Yeah, but still, it's great just with the the bourbon, the cherries, and I got the kind of cherries that you guys have. Mm -hmm. Um, The cherries make, I have to have three cherries. And just a little bit of the cherry juice. Just a bit, yep. And the black walnut bitters. And now, I put those black walnut bitters, I steam it in my milk that I make with coffee. Oh, what a great idea. It is so good. (laughs) That is a fantastic idea. I'm going to try that. And that's a wrap, folks. Hop on over to the show notes at stardustsociety.com slash ephemerapaducah to get the recipe for this delicious cocktail, along with links to the other resources mentioned in today's episode. 